0: okay i did good good last night
1: ready ab ryan o'reilly first goal score yeah ka-ching you gave me this one ryan o'reilly anytime score ka-ching yeah and then there was a fan duel
2: first goal i I picked a first goal goal. let's go yeah
1: and then there was a little boosty boost available when i I, took
2: that too i i i I played the full 50 on that
1: i didn't go full 50 oh i did but uh, that, that's JT's little corner of, of betting, that we're we're expanding slowly.
2: Yeah, I think uh, MJ did really good on, on his bets. I I believe he went three for three on his bets. I know he at least went two for three on uh, on his situation. Let's bring him in.
1: Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst, can you confirm? Did you have a perfect night yesterday?
0: I confirmed a perfect night. A late Alex Chuck Talley yes. checked the third box for me, but he could add a few anyways. He's so good. But yeah, no, it was... Uh... I took, I, but listen. It was so funny. I looked at the I looked at the odds yesterday, and Ryan O'Reilly, who's not a volume shooter, you could have got over under on his shots at one and a half. Like you know, he's playing with Mitch Marner and John Tavares, yeah. and he's going to play 17 minutes, and to only ask for two shots, I didn't seem too much, especially when Mitch right now is is feeling. We'll get into him, but like, he's feeling passing the puck a lot. Like he's not. He's not kind of attacking necessarily for goals quite as much as he is really passing it uh, to set guys up. So I thought that was a good chance. And, of course, he had, you know, he had two shots in the first three minutes, so that way that went easy. So, yeah, good night. Anytime you go three for three, I'll take it.
2: Yeah, it was a good night all around. Good night for, uh, for you, for, for JT, myself, and obviously One the One guy East. at Chuck's
1: in Guelph, Ontario, who picked Ryan O'Reilly, to score a hat-trick last night. Shout-out to no, that guy. That's, that, that's he was nice selling one. hard.
2: That's a nice wager. If you could bet three-plus goals on a guy and he does it, that is a sizable wager, and probably uh, his Chuck's bill was definitely paid Like Oh, yeah. Time, I'll tell you that. Um, Johnny, I, I mean, 13 points combined from that second line as a whole. Uh, Sheldon Keefe called those first eight to ten minutes of the game the most dominant that the team had looked all season. Like, What was working so well that led to that kind of success?
0: Yeah, he's right. It's kind of two different parts. So, like, as a team, I I kind of said it myself. Like, I think that was the best period, or maybe, like, first 15 minutes of the period. I've seen Toronto play all all year. Like, they were that good. And I think what it started was was the work away from the puck. Like, Buffalo didn't look very good. But, hey, I give Toronto credit for not letting them look very good because Toronto was so quick, the back pressure, um, the sticks in the lanes, the winning puck battles, extending – Extending offensive zone sequences. Like they were doing all those things so well, uh, that Buffalo couldn't breathe and then making really nice plays, transitioning quickly and, and attacking. And I think that's what Sheldon Keep loved. The like coaches love when you check your way into an excellent game and it felt like they were checking their way into a really good game. So I think that's where it starts. And that's not just that line, but I wanted to watch really closely. That was the first time I'd seen Ron O'Reilly play in person in a couple of, you know, this year, I suppose. Um, as a Leaf, it was my first time watching John Tavares in person play wing, and I was curious to see how he managed it. Not that he couldn't do it. He's John Tavares. Of course he can play wing. Like, I played wing in the NHL. Like, he can, he's, he's going to be able to do it. But just, you know, like, would it affect his effectiveness? He's having a really good year. Yeah. He's going to get 35 goals and 85 points. And so, you know, to take you out of your natural position that you played your whole year, career, where you're almost a Hall of Famer as a centerman and say, well, you're going to play in the wing now. When you're not a great skater, I was just wondering, like, would he get stuck on the wall? Would he, would he be trailing plays? Would he have a hard time getting touches, getting in the front of the net? Wrong, wrong, wrong. He had no problem with any of it all game long. And again, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but um, just another reminder of how smart Tavares is and how he can just, you know, read the play and make the appropriate decisions. Um, and so everything was working well for a team for that line. And I don't say this lightly, I'm not saying this to be hyperbolic. That's the best game I've ever seen Mitch Marner play. Or the best game I've ever called that Mitch Marner has played in. He was ridiculously good. The five assists almost doesn't do it justice. Like it's I know. underselling how good he was in that game. He could have he could have had eight points easily. And now he didn't look to score too often. He was really trying to set up O'Reilly, especially once he had the two goals. But defensively, he was leading the charge for turning pucks over and counterattacking, making all kinds of great plays with the puck. It was it's just like a a tour de force game by Mitch Marner. And I guess that was the real conversation. A lot of people were asking me, "Well, but O'Reilly and Tavares, like they're not great skaters anymore. You know, is that is is pace going to be an issue?" Well, Mitch Marner provides a lot of pace, a lot of zone entries, a lot of puck carrying and puck distribution, and let O'Reilly and Tavares with their good sticks and good hands finish pucks around the net. That was the recipe if it all goes well, and it all went well last night.
2: Yeah, like that's what I noticed last night too, right? Like, I mean, Magic Mitch was out there just hounding pucks. I think he five takeaways last night, which is almost as equally as impressive as the five assists. But five takeaways last night, and then he's the guy who's leading the charge, getting the puck into the zone and allowing those guys to set up where they need to be in order for them to find success. Like, I just, I think that that second line—it's only been three games, small sample size—and I'm sure at some point we will get a look at Ryan O'Reilly on. On the third line, just to see how things look. We know that Shelly Keeps likes to experiment. But, I mean, when you look at this and you're handicapping what this lineup could look like come game one of the playoffs, would you say it's more likely or less likely that that's your, your second line, arguably, your 1B line come game one?
0: Uh, part of me wants to say, it'd be really cute and say, where's game one being played? If it's at home, then yes. If it's at the, on the road, I wonder if they don't spread them out and make matchups a little bit more tougher when they don't get to dictate. But yeah, I mean, I think it is. For the top six, I mean, that's who you're going to focus on. And and Sheldon Keith likes the six players he has to use in his top six. They're all really good. Um, They all deserve to play up there. They're all very accomplished. Uh, Yes, there are three centermen playing there, but one's going to play in the wing. It looks like it's going to be okay. And maybe not as importantly, but having talked to Sheldon and had coaches being the way they are, like Sheldon has tinkered and experimented with his third and fourth lines a lot this year. Like, if you played in the minors for the Marlies and you were decent, you were going to get a run. Joey and Bobby McMahon, like, these guys get called up because like, they weren't exactly getting everything they wanted out of their fourth line. And now with Kerfoot down there and Achari down there, and if you care about expected goals, and I know you do, maybe, um, you know, your fourth line, if they are a positive, expected goal differential, like that's all you're asking. And not only has that fourth line been positive, they've been the best of the team yeah. the three games they've played. So that way I think it is probably more likely that what we saw last night is the way they start the playoffs. because as long as the top six is scoring, Sheldon Keep really likes to make up with the bottom six, and they're going to probably roll out game one and see if they can solve Vasilevsky and Tampa looking like they did last night.
1: Yeah, I like how he's deploying the forwards right now. It's like the first line and the second line are almost inter- interchangeable. Uh, and same thing with the third line and the fourth line. They had really similar ice time last night. They so
2: a- got two ones and two threes. Like, And, and yeah. that's, that's what I think. Like When you look at Boston and Tampa, they're almost built the same way, where it's like they got a kind of a 1A and 1B and two third lines. And now you look at Ooh. Toronto... And it almost feels like it's built very similarly and they could stack up pretty well come playoff time, whether, you know, series number one against Tampa. And then if they move on, you can also look at that team and be like, Hey, Boston, we can match up with you up front
0: too. Yeah. And I think for coaches, as they think, you know, it will the guys on the ice be vulnerable defensively? And, you know, Achari and Aston the recent Kerfoot, like they bang around and run into everybody that moves and, um, but when they get out there against Taze Thompson, Sheldon Keefe wasn't worrying about, you know, get off the ice. We need someone else out there. We know how much Sheldon Keefe trusts, trusts David Kampf and what he does defensively, Yarn Kroak and Engvall. So as long as they can trust those guys defensively, then, yeah, you don't need to hide them. It makes your life much easier as a coach. So, um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to quite concede the fourth line as being a third line production-wise, but when they get the puck in the offensive zone, when they play with energy, when they are physical, they – absolutely bring a dynamic that the Toronto Maple Leafs have been searching for all year long on the fourth line and they've done it in these three games probably better than the fourth line has done it for any three-game stretch this year Mm -hmm. and that matters.
2: What what was wrong with the hit counters last night?
1: The hit counters Uh, are never right.
2: Like, Zach hits and, and shots. I never Zach,
1: bet on hits or shots.
2: Zach Assen Reese was credited with one hit last night. I saw him lay at <laughs> least three, four. Like it was infectious. Watching Nolachari go out there, he was credited with seven, which makes probably makes sense. But Zach Assen Reese, like those, were, they were the Bash Brothers last night out there. You mm-hmm. you said on the broadcast, we got to come up with a nickname for these guys. They're the New Age Bash Brothers. They reminded me of Mighty Ducks. They're just out there hitting guys, and it's infectious with them each other, and they just want to try and one up one another. Like. I I thoroughly enjoyed the fourth line last night and the energy that they brought.
0: You enjoyed them, but the Sabres did not. And that's the point, right? (laughs) Like that's exactly what you want out of your fourth line. And you're not wrong. Like it is infection. I wasn't a guy who loved running around and hitting because it hurts and it's tiring and it's not easy, but, but it, it does kind of spill over. Certainly on the line, like you start hearing the boards rattle around, you start seeing one after another, go bombing in and hitting somebody. And the next guy up wants to do it. And, Alex Kerfoot, who doesn't play a, like, a super physical brand of hockey, he's, he's under the skin of Paige Thompson. Like, that's, that's what you want. Like That's exactly what you're looking for from your fourth line. Now, I don't think they'll play every set of games quite as well as they played the last few, but it's a really positive place to start when um, you know, your fourth line, who generally don't dictate whether you win or lose, it's just kind of a bonus if they're helping you, um, are as positive as they were the last few games, that's a, that's a great sign for, for Sheldon Keith and the Leafs and something they're going to want to keep looking forward uh, to seeing game after game.
1: Uh, with our TSN hockey analyst, Mike Johnson, right now. and So no Sandine last night, so the D-pairings were, were a little bit mix and matchy back there. Uh, they were yeah, okay. Really? Riley and Hall didn't have a banner I night. I by... was good. Yeah, he was good.
0: was good. He was really good. But, you but, know what? Because... Sorry, JT, just like, because a lot of conversation is about kind of weight of the defense around this time of year, right? Like, they need a heavier defenseman, they need a grittier defenseman. And I see a game like that for Lilligren, and like, that's plenty heavy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's knocking guys down, he's finishing his checks. I thought he was very good, for sure. You mentioned, sorry, I cut you off on O'Reilly, but I just thought, I thought Lilligren was a real standout last night.
1: Yeah, I'm talking more Morgan Riley, not oh, yeah. apostrophe Riley, really. like Joe Bowen was uh, was calling him last night. But but what did you think of that pairing last night? And what about Morgan Riley just as of late? How, how imperative, I heard you talking to Brian Hayes yesterday uh, about how important it's going to be for the Leafs down the stretch to really have him find his game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he scored another point now, so I think that does make it 8-8, eight and eight, which is, you know, what Morgan Riley often is you know looks at as whether he's doing well or not. Yeah. But I think for him, it's, it's probably more than that. Like I think it's, it's more important that he becomes solid defensively. And you know, you just saw uh, you know, Alex Tuck and burn a lot of guys. Yeah, you know, like, that's like he's literally one of the fastest players in the world. But you know, you, you'd want Morgan Riley to be able to challenge him a little more. I really didn't like um, the one read in the third period where he kind of got caught a little too awesome. far outside and let Paige Thompson walk down the middle in a part of the game where you're like, no, no, we're focusing strictly on defense, to protect the middle of the ice. Like those sort of plays need to be tightened up because Morgan Riley is going to have to play an important role defensively, not just scoring the puck, but defensively he's going to have to be really good um, when they get to the playoffs. And he's going to be playing against really good players on Tampa. And you need him and all the defense, but Morgan, because he leads the team a nice time, um, is going to have to be, you know, just rock solid in his decision-making. And I find when he gets himself in trouble this year, and he's, you know, had some stretches where he's not been as good as he wants defensively, he gets, he's been getting caught. Too far outside. That to me is, you know, when he when he when he runs into trouble, he gets too far outside, gives up the middle of the ice, um, and becomes vulnerable in the high danger areas. And and that's, I'm sure, what they're talking about, showing him, talking, you know, trying to get him to to clean up a little bit because they need him to be good to, to try to get through Tampa.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our TSN Hockey Insider, Darren Dreger, tweeted out today uh, a Jake Muzzin update. He said, expect the Toronto Maple Leafs to address Jake Muzzin's future this week. All indications suggest the veterans' defenseman season is over. Not surprising, but will provide clarity mm. for the remainder of the year. So I guess my natural follow-up, MJ, is do you think Kyle Dupas is done on the blue line?
0: Well, you know, I, I hear I hear that and say that's one that's sad, not surprising, yeah. and, and you know, we hope he's okay, and uh, I don't think Jake Muzzin's ever going to play again, and, and that's okay. Hopefully, his life is good. But you're never going to be able to replace Jake Muzzin with one defender. You can go get a physical guy like Jake Muzzin, but what makes Jake Muzzin so good is that not only was he physical, he could pass. Right? Like he was physical, but he could hold the gap. Right? Like it's hard. You're not. You know, Gavrakov can't do those things. Luke Shen can't do those things. Like they can be do some of the things, but not all of them. So you're never going to replace him. They might add a piece of depth. Uh, on the back end, be a physical guy. I don't think they have the means to do much else. But, um, yeah, I don't think that, like, this news spurs them into action. Like, we were hoping Jake would come back. I think was, they, all, they knew this was going to be the case all along. And I just don't think it's fair to think that anyone you could find at this point and acquire would give you the kind of impact that Jake Buzzin was able to do when he was healthy.
2: In conversation with Mike Johnson, our TSN hockey analyst, uh, after watching last night's, we'll say first period, do you think Don Sweeney and, and uh, Julian Breesbaugh were watching that game and saying, we might need to do something here at the deadline?
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's fun to think of that. like, oh boy, look how good they look when they're at their best, like, we're in trouble. I mean, Boston's won, Boston's lost, what, six games this year? Like, you know, I don't think they'll watch anything and get worried about anyone. They're just like, yeah, we're just going to keep going and doing what we do. In fact, I think that Don Sweeney's biggest concern would be, should I do anything? Like, do I want to disrupt the obviously good vibes that are going on on this team? And I think that's a legitimate question that he would have uh, about how to go forward. And Tampa, you know, they're going to want to try to add a depth defense and probably another scorer. Um, they always seem to figure out how to do it, but they are running out of picks and they are running out of cap space. At some point, they might not be able to do it, but I imagine Tampa, knowing they're going to play Toronto in the first round, sees that, like, yeah, we'd like a little boost to our team as well and they're probably going to go out and try to find one.
1: Yeah, did you see that one analyst in Boston yesterday? Like Boston's doing what so do? well this year.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> oh my it's god. like Boston's
1: doing so well that they they got to make up their own things happening. So if you if you didn't see yesterday, there was an analyst in in Boston. I'm not even entirely sure who it was suggesting that they might need to trade Allmark. Allmark or Swayman. Wait a minute. What?
0: What?
2: Why would you even <laughs> take think one of those. about
0: that? Of course, anybody would take one of those. That's isn't a winner or let's trade the future goaltender of this team, both of them get along beautifully. Both of them don't get paid too much. Like, what are we talking about? Madness. I guess if you're if you're going to say, well, we need Chikrin. If that like if you're trying to go, we need $4 million of space, then maybe that's what we have to go do it. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think if they needed that space, they would trade Craig Smith and right. the second rounder attached to him and say, there's your $4 million. We'll bring in Jacob Chikrin with whatever it costs to get him and figure that out. But I think that is a not a stretch, but like, like, like not a chance in the world that that is happening. And it's not even, like even hy- hypothetical for fun, but that's a, that's a stretch even for Boston.
1: Yeah, that's a wild one. Okay, how did we get here, MJ? This is a real headline that the NHL tweeted today. Flames need win in Arizona to boost playoff hopes. How did we get here? Oh. What is going on?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know what? And it's funny, maybe the worst place you want to be because there's already a lot of pressure on Calgary but then the walk-in Arizona team that is playing really well, but it's supposed to be really bad, and they have a goal center if Amelka plays, but Ingram as, late, as of late as well that can steal games of their own, that's like a recipe for a, you know, a, a, a difficult night. So um, how we've gotten here is I think the players that Calgary has, the players that Calgary has acquired to replace the ones that left are all very good NHL players. But what they're not doing is playing as well as they can in the system and for that coach right now and you have a guy who had nine shutouts last year with one of the best goalies in the league not playing nearly as well as well so you put those two things together and all of a sudden you know the Flames are are, are scrapping to, to make the playoffs and we didn't think they'd be there we knew they wouldn't be quite as good but we thought they would be maybe good certainly good enough to get to the playoffs but then tougher to play against when they got there it's just it's been it's been messy. It just hasn't been kind of a seamless transition to all these new players that they thought it would be. And they I don't know what they can do, Julia. I I don't know if yeah. they can go make a trade. Like it's not an easy kind of problem to diagnose and solve. Yeah. It's like I think they're just like, guys, we're better than this. Go be better than this. Like, <laughs> like like just be as good as you're supposed to be and leave it at that. And if they were, that probably would be enough, but Um, they got to find it and find it quick because Minnesota all of a sudden ran off three in a row and they're not backing back into Calgary.
2: Yeah, and we were talking about this a little bit yesterday too, Johnny, and like to me it's almost as if when they trade away Matt Kachuk, they kind of lost their identity. Like, he was really the identity of that team, and it seems like they just haven't been able to, to pick it back up. Like, last year, they were a terrific defensive team, and then, you know, they're still playing well defensively this year, but, like, the goaltending's been poor, and it just doesn't seem like that offense has come around. Like, I don't know what's going on with Jonathan Huberdeau, but you had a, how do you go from being a 115-point player to being a guy who can't, is scoring at a pure Engvall pace right now is is just insane to me.
0: Don't do it. Don't do Engvall like Pierre that. Pierre always AD.
1: catches a stray. Right. Like, he's 40, always catching a stray. Hang, Hang on. I am literally <laughs> the president.
0: Of the... <laughs> and, and scores 20 goals a year. Like, what do you want? <laughs> it's so funny. We'll go down this road. But, like, Engvall is hilarious because we had this with Hayes yesterday, and he's like, no, you know, I don't trust him. I'm like, okay, well, do you trust the big guys? Because, like, Worry about the big guys. They're the ones who are going to win or lose the series, not what Pierre Engvall does or does not do. And if he played the way everyone wishes he did, I wish he was more physical. I wish he hit more. I wish he was better defensively. I wish he didn't turn pucks over. Guess what? He'd make $7 million. Yeah. You know, like you, he wouldn't be on the team. There's a reason why he makes two and is a third-line player because he's not perfect, but he's pretty good for the value that uh, he has assigned. But anyway, that's my Engvall defense for the day. I just said yesterday, I'll do it again today. But you're right – Huberto, it's, you know, to score at a 55-point pace when you're making, you just sign a $90 million contract, that's not not enough. That's not good enough for him. He knows that. Um, Clearly, there's a transition, not just on the ice, but I think the transition to a new province, team, staff, organization, lifestyle, I think that's all been maybe more challenging for Jonathan Huberto than, than he would have hoped. And I Clearly, him and Daryl Sutter have not always seen eye-to-eye on eye how to play or how to create their offense. And, and I also think it's just a reminder, and this does no good for Calgary, Goudreau, Kachuk, and Lindholm were maybe better last year than we even gave them credit for. Because they did what they did, playing under the same system that a lot of players are having a hard time creating offense under. But I think they were just so great together, they could do it under any system. And stack everyone else down below them appropriately, and they don't have that this year.
2: Yeah, even Goudreau, like you think about it, really had to come out of his comfort zone to fit into a Daryl Sutter system, and he did it really, really well last year. Yeah, can't say it's it's translated, I guess, into what's going on in Columbus. But I guess, thinking back in hindsight, you do have to give him a lot of credit for the way that he played a season to go on both ends of the ice. Uh, really quickly, Johnny, McDavid becoming the fifth fastest ever to reach 800 mm-hmm. points last night, just 545 games. I mean, what 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 do you say to that, Johnny?
0: Didn't think we'd see someone jumping on those lists playing in this era. No. I, I just, you know, as great as Sid was, you know, Sid, I don't know, I think it had a Sid. Like, I, I just, like, you just didn't expect to see it. Um Now, I know goal scoring's up, and it's maybe a bit of a return to the 90s or whatever, but it's not quite the 80s. So anyone who creeps up on a fastest to do something, quickest to whatever, um, today is probably by era adjustment, you know, second or third best all time. I think that's what we're talking about with McDavid. You know, I think offensively, he is, I don't know, Gretzky I always will say is number one. Mario is probably always number two. I think we're getting to a point where we can have a conversation. Is Conor McDavid the third best offensive player ever? And, um, that's pretty lofty praise, but it's warranted. I mean, it's just, and like, I'm sure you guys saw it. Like, that one play he did in the, whatever period it was, where he took the puck by the blue line, had that, like, mid pivot where he split the defenders, then the ball came up it. I'm like, that stuff is not, like, it's just, he does it every single game. Stuff that has, NHL players, guys out there competing with them, scratching their heads, saying, "What the heck was that? Like, you know, like <laughs> what, what? are we supposed to do with that? Like, I'm trying to defend angles and sticks and skates, and like you pull that off at the blue line, like you know, he's getting to the point where you know, there's times where you just can't really stop him, and plus he can shoot the puck now, right? I mean, that much better.
2: Yeah. And just to to go, like how absurd it was in the '80s, Gretzky, 800 points. Do you have a guess for how many games it took him?
0: Uh, let's see. So it's obviously more than two points per. I would say uh, 335 games.
2: Three fifty two, three hundred fifty two okay. games. That's close to get eight hundred yeah. points. Uh, McDavid five hundred forty five, which was twenty six fewer games than it took Crosby to reach that feat. So uh, yeah, it's 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 incredible what that guy uh, is is doing right now. And you know, if he reaches one hundred fifty points this year, like. Oof, That's unreal in today's era. I appreciate it as always, Johnny. We'll chat again next week, pal. All
0: right, squad. Have a good day.
2: You as well. There he goes. Mike Johnson, TSN hockey analyst.
1: Noted wave lover.